0: Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm in McGarvey, and with me is Duncan Castles, as always. Today we have a delicious mixture for you of both news that's coming your way, as well as a couple of questions that you have asked us. They include uh, Manchester City, Leo Messi, Barcelona, Manchester United, a certain manager who used to have a job in Manchester, uh, Adama Troy, as well as what's going on with the Premier League and the issue of five substitutions. Duncan, we're going to start with uh, Leo Messi and City, a story which does not go away. We obviously reported in detail on this particular subject uh, through the summer. Uh, it ended, uh, for Messi anyway, with him deciding to stay rather than take the club to court or vice versa. Um What uh, our information is now is that Manchester City are actively pursuing a potential deal that would bring the Argentinian World Player of the Year to Manchester City in January, potentially. Now, this is something which has a little bit of the stars aligning about it, Duncan. I say that because we know that uh, City have yet to persuade Pep Guardiola to extend his contract beyond next summer. They believe that in securing Messi's signature, having failed to do so in the summer, that that would help persuade him to commit himself to the club longer than just simply the remaining months left on his contract. Just as important, however, uh, is the fact that Barcelona are, as we know, very much in debt, around 500 million euros in total, at least, but also in need of proving to La Liga and their authorities that they are not going to be liable for around 200 million euros of uh, debt in terms of wages and money owed by the end of this coming season. Now, our information is that any deal for Messi would help Barcelona in that endeavour because uh, the players' wages themselves from January through to the end of the season or to June 30th would amount to around 16.8 million euros, as well as a 33 million euro loyalty bonus due to be paid on that date. City are hoping they might be able to negotiate a deal around 50 to 60 million euros in terms of transfer fee for the 33-year-old. They will also put Eric Garcia, who himself is out of contract at the end of this season into the deal. So the total value could rise to between 80 and 90 million euros. That would be a very healthy return for Barcelona in terms of recruiting one player who they wish to get for effectively for free, but also Messi moving and uh, freeing them up from the indemnity of the money that they owe to him. Now, obviously, uh, no one at Barcelona wants to be the person Duncan, who sells Leo Messi, uh, their greatest ever player, arguably. But this seems to be quite an opportune moment, doesn't it, given the resignation of the former board and the elections happening at the end of January next year when uh, a new president will be elected, a new board of directors. So actually there's no one to point the finger at and that could also be important.
1: Yes, I I think politically it's very important. Um, as we explained at the time, uh, Bartomeu's position on Messi was not one based on sporting considerations or on economic considerations. There were powerful figures in the Barcelona board who thought that from a sporting perspective, it would have been the right time to let Messi leave and uh, take uh, the money they would save on his salary demands because there had been negotiations in the preceding year about a a, a new contract at Barcelona where he would, and his father were asking for a substantial rise on the already gargantuan pay he has at the club. Uh, and um, also rebuild the team. There has been the sense that the team has to be renovated. Um, I think everyone who knows Barcelona well will say that Messi's power at the club has, has almost become all-consuming in that he was a player who could have coaches changed, who could um, try and influence the board and successfully influence the board at times on player recruitment and player retention. Um, there is a general feeling that Barcelona had come to an end of an era that if they were going to play the football, the fans expected they needed younger bodies in who were capable to do the running and have the technical skills to play the way Barcelona want to play. So the the key consideration wasn't whether it was a good idea from a sporting perspective, wasn't whether it was a good idea from an economic perspective. Both of those boxes were ticked for multiple people on the Barcelona board. It was Bartomeu quite simply not wanting to be associated with Messi's exit, not wanting to be the president who allowed their most successful player, the most popular player, to leave the club. Um, And as you say, you now have this window of opportunity where Bartomeu is gone, there are elections due to be held, but um, you have a a kind of interim board or the, the residuals of the board making decisions over the January transfer market so they could From an economic perspective, decide we take this offer from Manchester City, assuming Messi still wants to go there and his father still wants to take that offer. We clean up the books um, to a certain extent. And remember, they can be held accountable the way Barcelona's uh, uh, club statutes are formed. The board is responsible if they do not meet certain economic targets. So they clean up the books by allowing Messi to go. And the new president comes in with a kind of uh, a blank slate and the ability to say, well, this wasn't my decision. It was the decision of the board I'm replacing. And ultimately, it came down to Lionel Messi wanting to leave the club, which we all know he wanted to do because he has given, gone on record after the big offer from Manchester City in the summer to say that he wanted to leave. And he was ready to leave, and the only reason he was not leaving was because Bartomeo and the board had forced him into a position where he would have to take legal action against the club to secure his exit, which he, um, in his own statement, said he would never do because of his, his loyalty to and love for the club. Um, the offer, as we revealed on the Transfer Window podcast in the summer from Manchester City, is a huge one. 700 million euros over five years. Uh, As you explained, Ian, at the time, it allows him to go to Manchester City to start with and then switch to New York City FC and um, the MLS during the period of a five year contract, which will be with City Football Group, which will be funded by Abu Dhabi, which would allow Abu Dhabi to get the player that they have always wanted and have tried on multiple occasions to hire before and bring to Manchester City and you have very senior people in the Abu Dhabi government um, Abu Dhabi uh, autocracy plus senior people in Manchester City on record as stating that they would like Messi that they've tried to get Messi in the past that their biggest regret has not been uh, to secure him this is another opportunity for them to do it and um, Perhaps you have now that, you know, the the one block there was in the summer was Bartomeu and the board, and with Bartomeu resigning, that block is gone. The question mark, of course, is what is Messi's and Messi's father's position in January now that they see there will be a change of board at Barcelona? Will they shift their stance? And will they, I mean, from, from the perspective of what the Messi's have done during their time at Barcelona, which has been repeatedly to extract superior contracts and more power and more influence, which many will argue is merited by the quality of Messi's play and his importance to the club. You could also see them looking at a new board coming in and seeing that as a situation where actually um, this is the opportunity to finish. Uh, my European career in Barcelona by placing pressure on whoever the next president is to retain me by giving me the money I want and the position I want in that, in that new setup. So I, I think the, the, the question in this is whether the Messi stance changes from the summer. And I think you and you have some information on, on how preliminary discussions have gone with City and Abu Dhabi over that potential January move.
0: Yes, um, City have not been discouraged in their initial inquiries and conversations with the Messi entourage regarding a January move. Um, I'm reliably informed that uh, while the mood between he and Ronald Koeman was originally extremely frosty, and we know this... um, for reasons of the way that Luis Suarez, his best friend, was treated in terms of being railroaded out of the camp now, uh, etc. And uh, the fallout from Leo's transfer request and potential involvement of legal proceedings, that there has been a kind of uneasy truth, which I am told is accurate, that there is no real beef between he and the Dutch manager but that it is still fragile and that a move in January would certainly not be unattractive to Messi, especially as it would mean uh, a clean break. Um, he would also, of course, uh, under FIFA, uh, UFA rules, be allowed to play in the Champions League for City, even though he's represented Barcelona already this season as well. Um, I suspect and fully expect That city will be covering that 33 million uh, loyalty bonus uh, that he was due at Barcelona for completing his contract in terms of a signing on fee. And also, of course, where else is Messi at 33 going to get a contract of this magnitude over this length of time and also opportunity um, to play uh, both in England and then again in? MLS, if that's what he chooses, it's just not going to happen. Uh, uh, this is the kind of stuff that dreams are made of for a player, even if he is, you know, multiple Ballon d'Or winner. But still, you know, I don't think, to be quite honest, there's an awful lot of value for Manchester City in completing this particular deal. Um, there's value in prestige, there's value in status, but the value in actual playing time and contribution, well, that remains open to be proven, which is fair enough. Uh, Obviously, it's not like Messi's career is is gone, um, but he certainly is um, towards the end of his career rather than in in the prime of it. Uh, So spending this amount of money and investing this amount of money uh, will look slightly strange uh, from a business perspective, not a sporting perspective, or maybe a sporting perspective as well. Uh, depending on you know how it turns out. But as we know, and you, as you've said, Duncan, Abu Dhabi have been pursuing this prize signing almost since the day they arrived uh, in Manchester and have never given up on it. And I think the key factor, well, one of the key factors is the whole Guardiola aspect. City, yes, are preparing or certainly making soundings um, in terms of a replacement for Guardiola as he still uh, rebuffs the offers of invitations to discuss a new contract. And I'm sure that Guardiola has indicated that bringing Messi to the club would be um, an, an advantage. But Guardiola's not the kind of person who's swayed easily by... the uh, temptation of uh, ostentatious gifts. He's his own man very much. and will make his own decision based on what's best for him rather than um, thinking, oh, linking up with Leo again is going to be great. Let's get the band back together and make number one hits. That's not really his style. But let's face it, any manager coming in who's been said, oh, you've got Leo Messi. At your disposal, it's going to be a massive uh, uh, motivation for them. So I think it's a win-win for City in that sense. However, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome because it's a very complicated contract with regards to image rights, with regards to um, bonuses, and with regards to how it's paid, etc., etc. Um, a lot of that work already went in to the legal side during uh, last summer's transfer window, but of course did not come to fruition. So the foundations of the contract are are already in place, which should make it easier. It's now down to Messi to make it clear to the interim Barcelona board that he wants to go and for them to accept a transfer uh, fee offer. As I said, um, putting Eric Garcia in the picture as well, um, who wants to leave City, and wants to go back to his um, Boyhood club, combined with Barcelona's financial uh, dilemma. I think that this has got momentum now, um, because Barcelona, as we have reported, have tried and failed to sell numerous players um, in the summer window. And as much as Messi is potentially their most valuable player outside of Ansu Fati, uh, he is certainly their most saleable player, um, but only certain clubs like PSG or Manchester City could afford to buy them. So this is, if you like, it's like the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, Duncan, for, uh, for both for City to get that player and for Messi to get that contract at his age and time of career. So this is why I think it's significant that they're doing it now. People will say and rightly argue, well, why would you pay 50, 60 million euros in January when the player's available on a free transfer? in the summer well bottom line is you get him for 6 months you get him six months early for start uh you secure him you could walk to any club in the summer for free whereas you get him exclusively on your uh list in January and also the Pep Guardiola factor in terms of persuading Guardiola to stay etc cetera, etc cetera, and how committed we are to your project is one that City are- really really want to press so as I said at the beginning of the, of the pod the stars seem to be aligning it's a, it's a long way from being light at the end of the tunnel but I do think that it's progressing in a very positive manner
1: Well you have to look at it from the perspective of Messi if this is what he wants he can also sell the story to the Barcelona fans as um, I decided to leave the club now I'm giving the club the opportunity to make some money from my exit rather than waiting in six months' time um, in a situation where the interim board has, de- has now decided they want to to let me go. So that that is perhaps an aid for him. Um, from the Abu Dhabi perspective, When you talk about the, whether it makes sporting sense for Manchester City and we discussed it in, at the time in the summer window You know, the feelings of some people who have observed Messi's entire career at Barcelona and watched very carefully what's happened to him, how he's changed during that career. And their perspective was that it would be a risk for Messi and for Manchester City to move him to the Premier League, um, where it's more physically intense. And their, their, their sense of it was it would be dependent on Guardiola persuading Messi, you cannot play every game, you cannot start every game. You're going to have to um, save your energy for the important matches, Champions League and the big games in the Premier League. If if they could persuade Messi to do that, which is something that's never happened at Barcelona, then it had more chance of working. But I, I actually think the sporting side of it's irrelevant. This is something Abu Dhabi wanted to do. Abu Dhabi are used to getting what they want. They don't like taking no for an answer. The opportunity presents itself. They tried. They've tried in the past. They've been rejected by Messi. They've seen Messi use them to get better contracts at Barcelona. That did not prevent them coming back in the summer. They almost got there in the summer. Um, so why not try in January to do it, regardless of sporting perspective? And you know, you look at where Barcelona are this season. They're currently eighth in La Liga. Okay, they have two games in hand on. The, the top position, but they're nine points off the top already. Um, they're five behind Real Madrid with Real Madrid having played just one game more. They're six behind Atletico with Atletico having played the same number of games. It's not looking great for Messi winning the title this season at, at Camp Nou. He wants to win the Champions League again. again you know, of course with the quality Barcelona have you have a chance in the Champions League but they have failed year after year in the current setup, and that was one of the reasons why he wanted to leave uh, was to have a chance of winning the Champions League again before he retires from European football so you'd have to say it doesn't look great for winning the Champions League this season again and it, perhaps an incentive to leave in January and you mentioned Ansu Fati as their most sellable asset um, a lot of scepticism about the, our reports in the summer that there were offers of over 100 million euros for um, Ansu going into the summer window. Um, those offers confirmed by Bartomeu subsequently on record and saying that they rejected all for him, we've seen his quality at the start of this season. We've seen his quality playing for Spain. He very much is that most sellable asset, but he is also injured and out for a long period of time. So they've lost one of their most effective attackers while being away a off the top of La Liga. So again, the incentive there for Messi to leave, I think, has only intensified given the way that the season has gone so far and as we've been reporting on the podcast recently manchester city are in the market for a new striker um a, a new center forward and and messi would obviously fit that bill to be played in um, the way guardiola developed him to play for the first time in barcelona he would fit into the system easily um he would solve or he should solve that problem for them. Certainly they will perceive it as being a solution and uh, the elite solution to the striker problem they're trying to solve at present.
0: And just to finish off this part of the conversation, Duncan, um, it was mentioned to me that Messi, of course, having already made public uh, his desire to leave Barcelona, um, which shocked Many people, despite all the rumours, but when he went on the record to say that he'd sent the infamous bureau fax to the club, um, he could publicly dress this up as saying, well, look, if I leave, then I can effectively um, help the club to save itself financially um, through the savings they make on salary and bonuses, as well as the fee they receive from me. Effectively making himself the sacrificial goat, Duncan. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) However, I couldn't resist. So, from one side of Manchester to the other, Duncan, and um, the ongoing saga of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his uh, position at Manchester United. And I understand you've got information on quite an interesting uh, situation regarding a potential replacement for the Norwegian at Old Trafford?
1: Yeah, this is information that comes from um, the camp of the manager concerned, um, who says he's been contacted by Manchester United to inquire about his availability at the end of this season. He's, he's currently an international coach, so it would be once he'd taken his team to the Euros and, and, and finished that job. Um, and it's a fascinating name, Roberto Mancini former Manchester City manager, um, man with obviously a lot of experience in English football. Not, it has to be said, the highest reputation in Manchester given um, the way he worked there, a very combative fashion in which he, he looked after his players um, and wound up just about every single wallet, one of them by the end of his period To, to there. be
0: fair, Duncan, he, he's won more league titles in England than, than Solskjaer has.
1: many coaches have Um, (laughs) but uh, according to people close to Mancini he has been contacted by Manchester United to inquire um, as to whether he'd be interested in switching jobs at the end of the season. Now he's done a very good job with Italy um, with a a generation of players that are considered to be one of the weakest they've had for some time they play tonight Um, against Bosnia-Herzegovina in the the Nations League um, match, which, if they win, um, will leave them top of that group. But they are unbeaten in 21 games under um, his leadership. He has a contract until the 2022 World Cup. The Italian Federation unsurprisingly want to extend that contract because of the job he's done for them. But there has been no agreement on... Uh, a renewal. He's not paid well at all um, in global manager standards. The information I have is that his salary for Italy is 2 million euros net, which is miles below um, the the best paid coaches in Italian football. For example, Antonio Conte is on 12 million net at Internazionale. Um, and also significantly below um, predecessors as Italy coach. So Conte, when he was in charge of the Italy team, was being paid four point five million net. Although that salary was subsidised by sponsors, with the, the federation unable to pay the full amount themselves. Um, there has been discussions about new contract. They have not got to the numbers Mancini wanted. Um, the guidance I have is Mancini would be happy with a similar level of salary to the one Conte had he has had inquiries from other clubs for example Juventus asked for him before hiring Andre Pirlo uh, in the summer so the the quality of work he's doing for Italy has been taken notice of in the European game Um, from Manchester United's perspective you get a coach who speaks English has experience of the game Um, Manchester United I think are quite attentive to the Italian market they've taken players from there before, they have looked at quite a lot of the talents developing in Italy and thought about bringing them over so they have within the recruitment staff uh, people who pay a lot of attention and see Italy as a place where they can um, bring talent from so it's maybe not a surprise that they've noticed Mancini's uh, performance as Italy coach and are sounding him out as to whether he would be a possibility in the summer. It's clearly not first choice, but you can be sure that that net salary he's paid by Italy of 2 million a year would be attractive to the Glazers and would be significantly less than the kind of money they would have to spend to hire Max Allegri or uh, more relevantly, uh, Maurizio Pochettino, who they have had conversations with. say this this informa- information is not being confirmed by Manchester United, so it's only coming from Mancini's side. But what we know is that Manchester United, um, when you ask them about Pochettino, they brief that they have no contact with Pochettino, Pochettino's people, and are not looking to change Solskjaer. That is not true. There has been contact. They are... Um, Setting things up where, uh, as we reported in the podcast recently, they've told Pochettino's people do not take another job without informing us first. So, um, uh, you know, the guidance on, from Manchester United and whether Mancini, Mancini is a target or not probably isn't particularly relevant here, given the way they've guided in the past. Um, and an interesting alternative. I I don't think it will go down well with Manchester United supporters, but um, you see them casting their net um, for obvious reasons because of Solskjaer's uh, lack of success uh, and the risk that they miss Champions League football, which, as we've repeatedly pointed out, is fundamental um, of importance to the Glazers. They want to be in the Champions League. They want the revenues from the Champions League to boost their balance books and allow them to keep paying themselves the dividends that um, they recently announced that they would continue, despite the club making large losses over uh, the first quarter of this financial year.
0: I'd say, Duncan, it's not, it's not the most far-fetched um, idea I've ever heard um, with regards to Manchester United employing a former Manchester City manager. I mean, they can point to the fact that Manchin did win a title, um, no, as you said, knows the Premier League knows English football, knows the intensity of it. Uh, He clearly still has people um, that he would bring on his staff uh, who could also aid him in that. And um, as we know with most football managers, uh, if they're earning €2 million net in one job, then the Premier League is a place to come and at least double that, if not more. Uh, And uh, that's always going to be an attraction with regards to their next project. Um, as to the current manager, Duncan, we have a question from Benyam Aferon who asks How do Manchester United players feel about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? What's their view when pressure is on him or he'll face the sack? What's the dressing room atmosphere like?
1: Well, uh, there, are, there are certainly players in the dressing room who are not convinced that Solskjaer is the level of coach they should have in charge of a club in Manchester United's magnitude. Um, if you talk to senior players in that dressing room, they will make comments such as, there is um, it, training sessions for example, uh, are it's hard to understand what the goal of certain training sessions are, um, what the plan is from a a tactical perspective in the the training sessions. There are complaints that he's like an old school British manager and you are talking about players here who have worked with some of the top coaches in the game and they notice the difference in quality in the training regime. Generally, they like him as an individual, although there are Um, certain individuals who feel he is not particularly meritocratic in his decision making in terms of playing time and that he has particular favourites in the squad and sometimes he says things to their faces uh, and then does something else uh, in in reality but generally he's liked it's not that um, there is a a disdain for him it's that more the complaint is he's not good enough Um, at least one senior player recently asked about the situation, said he expected Solskjaer to be sacked before long. Um, that the, the feeling he got within the club was that he was coming to the end of his tenure and um, would not be unhappy from the perspective of improving performances, giving the team a, a better chance of succeeding in the Premier League. And in the Champions League, if that was to happen from a pure sporting perspective, he thought that would be a good idea. Um, There are other individuals in the dressing room who, if you ask um, about Solskjaer's decision making and about his his tactics in particular games, they'll use fairly um, negative words to describe him. So I'm not saying this is everyone. But certainly there are senior figures in, in the dressing room who have actually long since formed this opinion um, and haven't been dissuaded from it from you know, these periods of good results that have interspersed what, on average is a very, very poor return in terms of points um, and also in terms of trophies for a Manchester United manager. because as Solskjaer himself, says repeatedly, um, he perceives Manchester United as being the biggest club in in the world. Um, And the biggest club in the world should not be scraping into the Champions League and should not be on a three-year trophy drought. And that's where they are at present.
0: Well, it's going to be another interesting few weeks in the Premier League, especially for Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who does seem to be caught in this cycle of uh, one week being potentially out of a job and then pulling a result out of the bag like he did against Everton and, and rescuing himself. Um, not so the case at uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers though Duncan where Nuno Espirito Santo continues to be very consistent and uh, is much admired however um, recent reports about one of his best players Adama uh suggests that uh, there is some kind of friction between the two, or at least between the manager's decision not to select him to start, and also uh, ongoing discussions over a new contract. However, you have information which hopefully can correct that and uh, give us the accurate uh, picture of what's actually going on at Molyneux.
1: Yeah, there's been some interesting reporting on Adam Traore recently. Not that long ago, the reports came out that he was on the point of signing a new con- contract at Wolverhampton, uh, an extension and a, and a big increase in his wages. Um, his current contract runs until 2023. Um, and then more recently, um, actually after we reported that it wasn't the case that he was close to to signing a new contract, we've seen reports saying, Um, that he had reneged on uh, an informal agreement to sign a new deal and that he felt that he was being left out of the team as punishment for not signing that contract. Now, I've talked to people close to Adama and asked them about this and their uh, stance is far less dramatic, Um, basically saying neither of those um, situations were correct, that, that they have been in contract talks. Uh, with wolves, that the, the two sides are far apart on salary level. Um, Adamas not particularly well paid in the in the wolves hierarchy, and wolves have given new contracts to a number of their senior players recently, including Raúl Jiménez, um, which earn them more than double uh, Adamas' wage, which is around forty five thousand pounds a week. He knows his value. He knows that. When Manchester City, in particular, came asking for Adama last season, Wolves were ready to put a figure out of 150 million euros as an asking price. So they feel that while that uh, figure was inflated um, for for sales purposes, that um, its value is such that it should be reflected in a new contract. The information I have is that they basically they've had these discussions, they are some distance apart, and the two sides said, well, let's take a break, um, come back to this in a few weeks' time. Uh, No no, um, controversy, no um, ire between the two sides. It's just, as described to me, a standard negotiating process um, for a player who is under long-term contract Therefore, there's no need for Wolves to to try and put pressure on him to sign a new contract and leave him out of the team on that basis. And certainly it would be a surprise if a coach of Nuno Espirito Santo's um, pragmatism would decide to leave players out of the team in order to force them uh, to sign a new contract. Nuno basically puts players in who he feels will do the best job for the team. Adama has not been playing as well this season as he did last season. He started the first three matches of the of the Premier League campaign, was dropped out of the team, and then has been used off the bench since. And um, his replacements, um, so Pedro Neto and, and Daniel Pedence, have done well, for the most part, well in the team. So it, there, there's a logic behind Adama being left out and um, no sense... From his representatives that uh, that they feel there's a problem here or that the the situation will not be um, resolved down the line, um, there isn't pressure from on their part to get a new deal, but by the same token they're not going to accept a figure from wolves that doesn't represent the client's full value
0: rather an interesting interview recently, Duncan um, with the uh I think it was on the athletic website um where he explained that why he puts baby oil on his um biceps and triceps etc so that uh defenders who try to uh take him down will slide away from him uh which i thought was uh quite significant given the fact that he's often compared to having the um upper torso of a boxer who of course uh, famously smear petroleum jelly on themselves for exactly the same reason, albeit uh, to, to to stop punches uh, rather than actual tackles. Um, but uh, I saw him do it as he came on as a substitute in the last round of Premier League games and uh, it immediately struck me as being actually a very clever thing to do. Um, having played football myself, although as a striker, but uh, never having used it myself. So uh, if I'm if I'm brought back another life as a striker I'll certainly take that advice uh, maybe
1: maybe a dama's representative need to smear the, the wolves um, owner's hands with baby oil to get the money out of them in, a, <laughs> in the fashion they want
0: grease the palms grease <laughs> the palms <laughs> We're going to take one more question, Duncan, on today's podcast uh, from our friend Sadiq Islami, who is at Sadiq Islami on Twitter. And he's given us a very interesting one. And I think um, we can bring some news as well on this particular issue. Uh, what I'll do, first of all, is I'm going to read the question, but then give some news. Then, Duncan, I'd ask you, to please, then, to uh, give your point of view. So Sadiq asks, do five substitutes allow more tactical fouls? Uh, i.e. more potential yellow cards can be risked due to more possibilities changing the personnel. And uh, it's our information here, at the transfer window, that a lot of lobbying has been taking place in Premier League clubs for the this to be changed. It can be changed uh, back to five substitutions. And of course, UEFA have since confirmed in the last couple of days that they will allow five substitutions in their competitions as well. And the, originally, the um, proposal was rejected because in Premier League uh, legislation, you need to have a two thirds majority, which means 14 of the 20 stakeholders in favour of a particular rule change proposal. Uh, however, um, it's our information from lobbying and speaking to clubs uh, in light of the recent spate. Of, uh, injuries, especially soft tissue and muscle injuries, that some clubs have certainly changed their minds. Um, the most recent count that we have is that between 10 and 12 clubs are now in favour of changing the rule to five substitutions for that reason, especially as we go into probably the most congested period of fixtures in the whole year. Remember, there's no Uh, winter break this year and also you have the condensed season combined with uh, Nations League games uh, qualification as well as the Euros at the end of the year as well going straight back into the start of the 2021 season. So, um, with that in mind, Duncan, uh, the tactical foul situation I think is one which uh, I think (laughs) refers specifically to certain clubs uh, because it's not all clubs who set out tactically foul um, although um, maybe they will if they have five subs at their disposal because they won't risk a red card
1: Yeah I, I think this is a great bit, bit of thinking from Sadiq and uh, you know we, we discussed five subs in detail recently and didn't come up with this at all and I, I, I think it, it absolutely makes sense uh, you know, the two individuals in the Premier League petitioning for five subs more than any others are Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola, the man who's built his entire um, tactical and, and very successful trophy-winning managerial career on tactical fouling. It's an absolute fundamental of the team, the way his teams play. Um, Liverpool, a team who are trained and taught to play on the edge, to get the ball back as quickly as possible. Take advantage of um, you know the raucous home support, which tends to pressure referees to ignore um, things that would be given fouls, uh, perhaps against other teams in another stadia. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would not surprise me at all if part of Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola's thinking is not about injury prevention; it's about the strategic advantage it allows them to have five substitutes in games, so they can order the players to tactically foul and take them off if they need to, um, avoiding red cards. And you know, as we discussed in, the, in that section we did in five substitutes, when the two played each other, having complained that um, not having five substitutes caused injury risk uh, recently, they made three substitutions between them. So they didn't even use uh all of the six substitutions that were allowed under the current rules and and we pointed out that what they want to do is use them to tactical advantage when it suits them Um, when they have a a large lead in a game then bring those extra subs on to uh kind of have a default rotation through using the the tactical substitutes um so i think sadiq's hit something on the head here um Look, I I think it's interesting the Premier League are changing their position. It's not surprising given the the number of injuries we've seen. Um, There's definitely an argument that to protect the players, you should allow five substitutions. As we said at the time, it's not great from a spectating and sporting point of view. The games I don't think are as compelling when you have five substitutes in them. It's not great when you have 10 changes in, in one game. Um, And it certainly, I don't think it's great if we, for the second season running, change the rules during the course of the season. Um, So you're going to have the first part of the season teams playing with three substitutes and the second or two thirds of the season teams playing with five substitutes. So it's not a balanced setup. Also, you're making teams play with squads built to work with three substitutes. At least until january and for those teams who want to change their squad um to to help them cope with the five substitutes um the the smaller teams who don't have as large squads uh who as we detailed are disadvantaged by allowing the five substitutions for the bigger sides um, they have to do it in a january window where as we all know it's difficult to to buy players anyway
0: to be fair duncan a few of our listeners uh And uh, friends of the podcast pointed out on our social media platform timelines that um, this could be an opportunity to bring in some of the youth players uh, and you could blood players in a much easier and more gentle fashion. For instance, if you're comfortable in a game, or indeed if you're losing a game anyway, uh, to bring in players who might not normally get game time if you have five substitutes. So there is a flip side in terms of a positive sense. But of course, every Premier League club names 25 players uh, in their squad, and there's a matchday squad as well, obviously. Um, So it it doesn't seem like uh, such a bad idea. Generally speaking, I think the contentious aspect of it for clubs outside of the big six has always been the fact that their squads are not as um, the quality and depth that the big six can afford. So any substitutions they make might not necessarily improve the team on the pitch, which is one of the reasons why they objected to it in the first place. But certainly uh, my reading of it and instead of canvassing the opinion of uh, people at different clubs in the Premier League who originally voted against was such that uh, the reason that they changed their minds or they're changing their minds is the amount of injuries that have already been sustained but also, and um, and I'm sure Jurgen Klopp is currently counting the cost as well for himself of um, injuries on international duty uh, that have happened uh, certainly over the last two weeks in Liverpool's case. And the fact that uh, he will be facing uh, a Premier League fixture list uh, without some of his uh, key players, certainly for at least two to four weeks. So, yeah, it's... Um, A very good question by Sadiq, and we thank you, Sadiq, for that. This um, is the first podcast of the Transfer Window of this week, which means we will be doing Heroes and Villains to round it off. Uh, Duncan, I know that loggy has got an opinion, your uh, young dog there uh, on five subs, and I'm glad (laughs) that uh, she has been barking five times to say that she votes for five. Uh, However, I'm going to ask you, please, for your Villain of the Week.
1: Uh, villain of the week. Who um, <laughs> it would be interesting if we could set the dogs on them. Uh, Mail on Sunday for the reporting on Marcus Rashford and uh, his uh, investment in property. Um, and uh, yeah, which has gone down very badly. I've seen a defence from the editor of the Mail on Sunday, which which basically amounts to second paragraph we wrote, uh. A nice piece about Marcus Rashford a few weeks ago and we um, had a, a 1000 word piece from Marcus Rashford himself uh, about his campaigning which our headline said inspired the nation therefore we're allowed to write things that many people perceive as negative we don't perceive them as negative but uh, the majority perceive them as negative negative. and I think most importantly Marcus Rashford saw as a negative um, commenting on Twitter saying that uh, he needs to protect not just his own future, but his family's too, and that he made a decision at the beginning of 2020 to start investing more in property and asking that they don't run stories like this alongside references to campaigning. So I think, as we've seen many times from Marcus Rashford, a very measured response, he's not saying, don't write these stories about me, but if you're going write, to write these stories, don't mention campaigning in the headline. Um please keep that separate from from what you're gonna write. But yeah, the negativity of it and we've we've seen this before from some of the English newspapers, um is something that's gone down badly and deservedly so.
0: Well Duncan, um, knowing many footballers personally, if I had a house for every time they'd bought a house, I'd be called Barrett Homes. So uh, it's not exactly an unusual thing, um, for footballers to Im- invest in property. Uh, just about everyone I know in football does exactly that. Um, and funnily enough, a lot of people who read the Mail on Sunday who are not footballers, I'm sure, do exactly that, but don't find themselves in the newspaper um, being exposed, if you like, for it. Uh, in a more positive sense, my Year of the Week, I'm going to nominate Manchester City's new signing, or newest signing, Ferran Torres for uh, his hat-trick against Germany for Spain uh, in the Nations League qualifier, which, of course, put Spain top of the group and uh, helped effectively demolish Jürgen uh, um extremely impressive Germany side until now. And uh, in doing so, uh, made him one of the youngest ever players to score a competitive hat-trick for his nation. Uh If you haven't seen the hat-trick, please go to uh, your uh, preferred social media platform and Google it because it is quite something. And, uh, of course, um, Michael Owen scored a hat-trick almost, I think it was 2001, so 19 years ago, against Germany in Munich. Uh, I was there for that match uh, when England won 5-1. I think that was the last time... uh, uh, generally conceded as many goals as they did uh, last night. or oh, sorry, obviously scored six, they had scored six against Spain. So, um, as Duncan pointed out to me off air, um, if it's the same as Michael Owen, then we can expect him to, Ferran Torres to be signing for Stoke City anytime soon. Uh, I'm playing on the wing. <laughs> so, Ferran Torres, you are the Transfer Window Podcast Hero of the Week and the Mail and Sunday, you are a villain. Uh, special mention to Marcus Rashford as well for his uh, collusion uh, in forming a book club to uh, inspire children to read as well. Um, respect to Marcus Rashford for that. This has been the first episode of the Transfer Window podcast this week. If you liked what you heard, please leave a five-star review on iTunes you can subscribe to the Transfer Window podcast on YouTube. Turn on all notifications and you will receive the podcast link as soon as it is published. Please join the discussion. Uh, As you have heard today, we've answered a couple of questions. We like to do that as much as we can, as well as engage with you outside of the podcast itself. We are on at Transfer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Duncan is on at Duncan Castles on Twitter. I'm on at Garbo SJ. We will be with you later in the week. As for now, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.